I'd like to invite the rest of us to take our Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you, and to open up to Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 39. That's on page 707, if you're using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, page 707, Mark 1, chapter 32 to 39, or verses 32 to 39. Has this ever happened to you? You are given a hard, arduous assignment at school or at work. Maybe it's to read a long chapter in in a dense, dry textbook or manual. And and so you diligently sit down and and you begin to struggle your way through. And um, many times you're tempted to give up along the way, but you persevere, you, you push through, and after great effort and sacrifice, you manage to get it done, and you're so relieved. And only then do you realize that you read the wrong chapter. Or or maybe you've heard the parable about the person who spends their whole life struggling to climb the tall ladder of success. And and late in their career, they they finally have gotten to the top only to realize too late that the whole time the ladder was leaned against the wrong tree. Do you ever wonder if that's true of your life in some ways? We're a bunch of busy, hardworking people, aren't we? We, we live in a place, we live in a culture where people are, are diligent and motivated. We work hard to succeed. We give it 110%. Many of us sacrifice leisure time. We, we, we sacrifice fun time and life's simple pleasures in order to accomplish, to, to succeed, to get ahead. And, and if that's you, like that's me, then, then here's a question for us. Have we taken time to to make sure, to to double check that we're reading the right chapter, that our ladder is leaned against the right tree? Are we devoting our time and energy to the right things? Are we we spending our life on the, the right values, the right purposes? Unless you think that this is just self help thinking or uh, personal productivity advice, that it's from a book by Stephen Covey or uh, Jim Collins. Notice that this matter actually comes up in in the life of Jesus in the story that was read earlier. It's early in the morning, the morning after, an amazing day. Jesus has just recently come onto the public scene. He's begun his ministry in Capernaum, and, and it's off to a great start. God is moving. Things are happening. People are being helped and blessed. Lives are being changed. If you go back and you read through the first chapter of Mark's gospel, you learn that in a synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus has has taught the people about the new thing that God is beginning to do. And to back it up, he's cast out a demon. And all the people are amazed and, and news about him begins to spread quickly. That evening, the whole town has shown up at the house where he's staying, and and Jesus has healed the sick, and he's liberated those who are uh, captive by evil spirits. God is on the move. People are being set free, made whole again. They're clamoring to be near Jesus, to get to know him, to hear what he has to say. But the next morning, Jesus goes missing. No one knows where to find him. Turns out that he's gone off to a solitary place to be alone and to pray. And finally, Simon Peter and his companions track Jesus down and and they breathlessly say, Jesus, what are you doing here? Everyone's looking for you. And how does Jesus respond? He says, let's go somewhere else. 
let's go somewhere else. What, Jesus? God is moving here. People are, are coming to you. They're, they're being helped. They're eager. They need to be shepherded. They need to be taught. They need to be helped and to heal. There, there's so much meaningful work to do, so many good opportunities, and you want to walk away from it all and go somewhere else? Can you imagine? Imagine if that happened here at CBC. Imagine if, if my sermons and the sermons of others who, who preach at CBC took on a new power and a new authority. People were being deeply convicted and, and transformed and, and changed. And when we pray for people, they'd, they'd get healed and they'd get set free from addictions and, and from things that bound them from evil oppressions or possessions. And word was getting out. People were, were streaming in, hungry for God. And, and so we started a second service. And, and and a third, and a fourth, and our missional communities were growing to 30, 50, 70 people. They were growing more quickly than we could multiply them or start new ones. Imagine that. Would that be a good time to leave and to go somewhere else? What is Jesus thinking here? I mean, how many of you have left your careers right at the peak of success? Or quit the team when you were the league-leading high scorer? Or how many of you have had the opportunity of a lifetime to do something good and noble and fulfilling and you walked away? How can Jesus just walk away at a moment like this? He's got all his eager, bright-eyed disciples around him, looking up to him, encouraging him. They're ready to go, and, and he intends to sneak out of town. What is up in this story? What's the point? Well, it seems that Jesus sensed that to go on ministering in Capernaum would be to read the wrong chapter or to climb a ladder that was propped up against the wrong tree. I wonder when Jesus started to sense it. Did Jesus go off to prayer early that morning because he had an inkling, he had a nudging inside that staying might not be right? Did he go off to pray because he was already battling with an inner temptation to stay for what he knew were the wrong reasons? Or did Jesus head off to prayer that morning for other reasons? Did he fully plan to stay on in, in Capernaum? And, and so he went to pray seeking strength and power for what he assumed would be the day's tasks in Capernaum. But then as he prayed, did he begin to realize that his plans needed to change and that God was leading him in a different direction? Well, we don't know. We, we don't know when Jesus began to sense he needed to leave town. But what is clear is that by the time his disciples caught up with him, Jesus had gotten clarity that he needed to leave. And he'd gotten the courage to buck the popular opinion and to do it. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that, that Jesus didn't just camp out in Capernaum and build his ministry and meet every need there? Aren't you glad that, that he went to other places, that he spread his message far and wide, that he aimed for far greater impact, for far wider influence, so much so that eventually his influence even came to you and to me? From this story in Mark, it, it seems that getting off by himself was part of Jesus' strategy to seek the clarity and the courage he needed to keep his, his calling clear, to stay focused on what his life was supposed to be about. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus, then there's a lesson in this story for you and for me. It's first of all to ask the question, am I reading the right chapter? Is my, the ladder I'm climbing propped up against the right tree? And second, it's to realize that, that the answer to this question doesn't scream out at us very often. Usually we have to go searching for it. Even Jesus himself had to go off for an extended time of prayer to get clarity. Hopefully you've seen this illustration before. It, it reminds us that uh, life is meant to be a rhythm. Think of a pendulum swinging back and forth. God has created us for a rhythm of rest and work. Rest and work. For a rhythm of abiding, remaining in Jesus, and, and then bearing fruit. Abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit. I'd like to add to that based on this story that we're also created for another rhythm. A, a rhythm of solitude and calling. Solitude and and calling. By solitude, I mean doing what Jesus does in this story. He, he gets off by himself to somewhere quiet where there are no distractions or interruptions, no pressures or needs. And by calling, I mean living out of the clarity that we're reading the right chapter, that we're climbing the ladder that's propped up against the right tree. How are we doing at this rhythm? Are we living our lives out of a clear sense of calling? Is our purpose clear enough that, that we know what we need to say no to? And our lives aren't cluttered up with, with a bunch of responsibilities which really aren't ours to fulfill. Is our calling clear enough that, that we know the pleasure of, of being and doing what God has uniquely given us to be and to do? And, and so... We don't give in when others pressure us to meet their expectations, which we know aren't part of our calling. And we don't need to be jealous of those who are called to something different than what we're called to. And we don't need to judge those who don't feel called to do what we think is so important. Is our calling clear enough that we're, we're confident and we're fulfilled and we're expectant and joyful as we partner with God in the worthwhile endeavor that he's uniquely called us to be a part of. And what about the solitude side? Are, are we living paced lives? Because we have time for rest, for recharging, for reorienting, for keeping our calling clear. I have a concern for our church in this area. Um, we did a spiritual growth survey about a month ago as a church, and the very lowest score on the whole survey was this one. I take enough time for rest and spiritual refreshment. Only 32% of our people could, could answer that question positively. Do we live in Westchester, Putnam County, or what? <laughs> Which means that... <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Which means that two-thirds of us, like Fred, don't feel that we take enough time to rest. We're so busy. Life is, is so full. We don't take enough time to, to slow down, to rest, to seek God's presence and direction. 
And so I'm guessing for most of us, it's been a while since we've slowed down enough to explore the question, is the ladder I'm so breathlessly climbing even leaning up against the right tree? Because you see, today's passage suggests that there's a relationship, an interdependence between calling and solitude. If we don't know what our calling is, then, then we may be running around doing a whole bunch of things that we don't need to be doing, and so we have no time for rest or for solitude. And yet, on the other hand, without solitude, we, we can't get ourselves slowed down enough to even figure out what our calling is supposed to be. So living our calling frees us up with time for rest, for solitude, for margin. And solitude is a necessary ingredient. It's not the only ingredient, but it's an important one to get and to keep our calling clear. And so for this morning and for the next two Sunday mornings, I want us to focus on the spiritual practice of life rhythm. And so I've entitled this series, Making Room. Making room. Today, we'll look at making room for solitude. Solitude. Now, for you introverts out there, you're thinking, oh boy, that would be great. I could use some solitude. And for some of you extroverts, you're thinking, solitude, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> but, but bear with me, because there's a difference between solitude and loneliness. Richard Foster, who uh, has written really helpfully about spiritual disciplines, calls loneliness an inner emptiness but he calls solitude an inner fulfillment. Hopefully, whether we're an introvert or an extrovert, there, there's something fulfilling to be gained from making room for solitude. If you don't like the word solitude, think retreat in your head. You substitute the word retreat when I say solitude. Now, if you're in a season of loneliness in your life right now, then, then solitude might not be what you need right now. You, you might need community friendship, relationship, so that when you do spend time alone, it's solitude and not loneliness that you're experiencing. But what is solitude? Well, solitude is being completely alone, without other people, without your phone, without your laptop or your tablet or your book or your video games. And not alone at the mall, not alone at the movie theater, but alone where it's quiet and where there are no distractions. Alone with yourself. Alone with God. In his book, Abba's Child, Brennan Manning tells the story of a man who made an appointment with the famous psychologist Carl Jung because um, he wanted help for his chronic depression. And after hearing his story and getting to know just what made this man tick and what was going on in his heart, Young suggested that this man reduce his 14-hour workday to eight hours and grow directly home and spend the evenings in his study quiet and all alone for a period of time. And the depressed man took the advice. He went home to his study each night. He shut the door. He read a little Herman Hesse or Thomas Mann. He played a few Chopin etudes or some Mozart. And after a week of, of this, he returned to Jung, complaining that he could see no improvement. On learning how the man had spent the time, Jung said, but, but you didn't understand. I didn't want you to be with Hesse or, or Mann or Chopin or Mozart. I wanted you to be completely alone. And the man looked terrified, and he exclaimed, I can't think of any worse company 
And Jung replied, yet this is the self that you inflict on other people 14 hours a day. Solitude is essential to become the person God is calling us to be, a person who can be a blessing to others. We see this in the life of, of Jesus, who often retreated to lonely places for an early morning or an evening, perhaps for longer periods at times. Before Jesus started his ministry, he spent 40 days alone in the wilderness in solitude. Moses, John the Baptist, other prophets likewise went off into the wilderness and, and often they would, they would come back with a word from the Lord, with, with a fresh conviction, with an inner strength, with, with renewed power for, for ministry, for service, for the ability to be a blessing to others. And saints and spiritual masters and everyday believers down through the ages have agreed that solitude is a vital spiritual discipline. For instance, the great philosopher and mathematician Blas Pascal, who also wrote a spiritual classic, said once, I have discovered that all of the unhappiness of human beings arises from one single fact, that they cannot stay quietly in their own room. And that was before the internet. <laughs> Dallas Willard, a, a modern-day modern expert in the area of Christian spirituality, says that for our culture, for our lifestyle today, solitude is perhaps the most important spiritual discipline for us to practice. He says we're so busy, we're so harried, we're so over-programmed that, that our prayer and our, our Bible study and our church attendance often do us little good. They fail to transform us because they're just one more activity. They're, they're, they're more information that are, that's competing for our attention and, and going in one ear and going out the other because we just can't deal with it all. So Willard describes what solitude is. He says, solitude means you go off by yourself and, and you do nothing. He says, you probably have a hard time imagining that unless you're already into it. But he says, you go off alone and, and you stay there long enough until you stop twitching. <laughs> your body quiets down. Your exhausted, fragmented, conflicted self begins to relax and to open up to the possibility of wholeness. You're now beginning to receive and you might even find that you have a soul. Willard goes on to describe how in our daily lives, our, our thoughts, our feelings, even our bodies are so wired and so conditioned by all that's around us, the, the routines, the, the temptations, the, the pressures, the expectations, the cues, the noise, that, that we can't really grow or change who we are in the midst of everything. We, we, we've got to get alone. We've got to unhook ourselves from those circuits of this world let the noise inside of our heads die down so that God can deal with us and speak to us and show us who we are. Now, at first, for some of us, being alone like this might be terrifying. Our souls have gotten so shrunken that we think that if all the noise and the stimulation goes away, there'll be nothing there but a black hole. But if we persevere at it, we may find ourselves, we may find our soul, we may find God and the deeper relationship we'd always meant to have with Jesus. So how does solitude help us? How does it help us get clear 
on our calling. Solitude does a lot of other things besides that, but in this passage, we see it linked to calling. Well, for us as Christians, we have to let Jesus set the example here. And for Jesus, solitude was about reconnecting with God the Father. It was about getting his, his identity rooted in the Father's love for him. Jesus went away alone to be, to be with the Father who delighted in him. And as Jesus was renewed in his identity as a child, dearly loved by God his Father, Jesus began to know or knew the freedom and the delight of, of participating in the work that God had given him to do. Just as an example, listen to Jesus' delight in Luke 10, 21 to 22. At that time... Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me, Jesus says, by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus knew his Father. He knew who he was in relation to his Father. Jesus knew his place in the Father's plan. And so he was filled with delight as he saw this working out in his own life, his own calling. Unless you think that that's just for Jesus. Remember what Paul says to believers in Romans 8, verse 15. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. If we're in Jesus, if we have received the spirit, then that's true, or then what's true of Jesus is also true of us. Like Jesus, we too are beloved children. God has adopted us as his sons and daughters. We too can call God Abba, Father, just like Jesus did. We can delight in God's love because God delights in us. Why? Because through the Spirit, we have come to share in the relationship that Jesus enjoyed with the Father. What's Jesus's becomes ours if we are in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So that's part of what solitude is about. It's, about. it's about disconnecting from all those other pulls and tugs and messages and the expectations and the voices so that our identity as God's beloved children can become clear again. So that we can begin to get the freedom to be who God has called us to be. And then we're ready to re-engage with the world with, with focus, with clarity, with security, with conviction about what we're supposed to do and be. You know, I once heard someone say, God never gives anyone too much to do. God never gives anyone too much to do. But there are a lot of reasons our plates are so full, right? <laughs> Maybe it's because we can't say no. Someone pressures us or, or guilts us into doing something or even just presents a need to us. 
and, and maybe we resent them for it, but, but we can't say no, so we do it. We, we say we will. Or maybe we're, we're driven to succeed because we're still trying to prove to a disapproving parent that we're good enough, that we're, we're smart enough, that we're successful enough. Or maybe we need to be needed, and, and so we, we think we have to serve everyone and, and help everyone because we need them to need us. Or maybe we, we want to fit in. We want to be as good as our neighbors. And, and they're all running 100 miles an hour to, to maintain a certain standard of living. And, and so we, we feel we need to do the same. And you know, that's especially true with, when it comes to our kids. We, we don't want to ruin our kids. We, we don't want to limit their chances for success. And, and all the other kids do four hours of homework every night. And, and they have a math tutor and, and piano lessons and, and dance lessons. And, and they play on the travel team. And they, they, of course, have a side business writing iPhone apps, too. <laughs> and, and how are our kids ever going to become well-rounded adults, how, let alone get into an Ivy League university, if they don't do at least as much as all the other kids are doing? Or maybe it's our church. We feel like, like we want God to accept us fully, and, and so we've got to be there whenever there's a call for help. That's what it means to be a good Christian. Or maybe it's that we're just naturally curious. We're, we're a doer kind of person, and, and we live in a place that has so much to offer, and, and there's so many things we can do and so many possibilities, and we want to do them all, and we overbook ourselves. And so maybe for, for any of those reasons or others, after a while, we've just been going so fast for so long that we can't stop anymore. You know, adrenaline is actually addictive. It is. You've probably experienced it. And so we get stuck in high gear, and, and we, we, we think we can't stop. And, and we, we don't, we're not sure we want to stop because we can't remember what that would be like. But all the while, we're losing ourselves. We have no clue anymore which tree our ladder is up against. Sometimes it takes a funeral of someone to jolt us into what really matters in life. But then we run from the funeral to three other things on our schedule, and that moment's gone. How do we slow down? How do we, we make room in our lives? Well, it starts with identity. It starts with, with coming to know that God loves us, knowing that the Father accepts us, knowing that the Father will take care of us and our kids. And so we can let go of the idols that drive us and we can trust God. And from there, our calling has a chance to begin to emerge as we come to recognize the unique person that God has made us to be and the unique work that God has given us to do. If you read the gospel stories, you see that Jesus knew what his calling was. And when Jesus doesn't know, when it gets fuzzy, as it inevitably does in life, Jesus retreats from all the pulls, from the influences, from the temptations, and he gets alone with God and he gets clarity. He remembers who he is and that, that he's God's son. And he realizes who he wants to please, not Peter, not the crowds, not even himself, but he wants to please his father who loves him and wants the best for him. And so Jesus then knows that the freedom and the rest and the delight of doing only what 
God has called him to do. Again, if Jesus needed solitude for this to become clear, how much more do we? Now, I'm not promising that one hour or one day of solitude is going to magically change your life. (laughs) But rather, I'm challenging you to begin to figure out, I'm challenging myself too, what a doable rhythm of solitude looks like. Because none of the exciting things that God has called our church to are possible without that without that rhythm. We can't continue to go 100 miles an hour and have our hand in 100 things and expect to hear from God and to be led by God and to minister with power and to bless others out of the spiritual overflow of a close relationship with Jesus. We can't do that going 100 miles an hour. Now, taking the next step here will look different for each one of us. Some of us are high extroverts. Some of us have small children who we're responsible for. Some of us have no practice at this. We've been so plugged into to stimulation our whole lives that we, we've never been quiet for five minutes in, in our whole life. So some of you might want to start with just five minutes a day, just being completely alone and quiet, unplugged from technology, And then stretch it to 10 minutes after you get comfortable with five minutes and work your way up. For others of us, maybe a walk in the woods for an hour once a week would be a good next step. For others, maybe a day away or a weekend away alone. A good way to think about the rhythm of solitude is in terms of your weekly rhythm and in terms of your monthly or your seasonal rhythm planning time into your week, planning time into your month or your year. So what exactly do you do with your time alone? Well, wouldn't it be great to have a a spiritual trainer to help you? You know, you go to the gym, and and you can get a a personal trainer there at the gym, and and they they figure out your body type and your uh, ratio and all the other stuff they they do. I've never been to the gym, so um, (laughs) I find other free ways to exercise. Um, But they figure out a plan that works for you. They teach you how to use the machines. Wouldn't it be great if there was a spiritual trainer who who could help you to come up with the spiritual plan that's right for you? Well, Debbie Bellingham actually happens to do that kind of work. And I've asked her to, to come up here and tell us a little bit about it just for a few minutes as we end here. And while she's coming, I have a book recommendation. Anyway, um, one book that could help you to begin thinking about making room in your life is it's in your bulletin where the the daily readings are. It's called Making Room for Life. I have a couple copies that I'm willing to lend you if you'd like to read it. It's an easy read. Um, If you want to look on Amazon, it's new name. It was reprinted recently and is on sale right now for $6. It's called um, Real Simplicity is its new name. And it's just a practical book about how busy people um, can figure out how to make room in their life for what matters most. But Debbie, Hmm. here, uh, let's see. You want to come over here? Sure. And um, so so you do personal spiritual training, which is part of a bigger job, which is spiritual direction, right? Yes. Can you tell us what that is? Yes, uh, I'll try. Um, 
it's kind of one of those things that's hard to define because, as you mentioned, it's different in every situation with every person. But generally speaking, um, a spiritual director or someone who works with you to um, encourage your relationship and your, the deepening of your life with Christ is someone who you would sit with regularly, where you would come and you'd share with that person the state of your soul, the questions that you're pondering right now, your calling, or how to live out who you are in your family or your work relationships or whatever. And that person that you would meet with would um, sadly not have all the answers <laughs> for you, but would, contain, would allow a safe environment where you could ask the questions and uh, listen for God to speak to you. Um, it, it, does that so, say yeah. it? So yeah. when you're doing spiritual direction with someone, what are you listening for? What are you doing there with them? Um, well, as I mentioned, I kind of listen to what's the landscape of that person's soul. They'll come and they'll tell me exactly what's going on in their heart, the questions they have, and I try to help them listen beyond the, the um, immediate to what God is doing in that activity or how God is answering them and they might not even notice it. Um, for instance, if someone wonders about how, if whether or not God really loves them and I suggest that they pray with scriptures during a, a season about that indicate the great love of God for them and then they'll come and say, well, you know, I didn't really see God's love for me in the scripture. I go, well, tell me about your, your week. What happened this week? And they go, well, I was really uh, lonely and I got a phone call from someone. I go, oh, well, I wonder if that was God communicating to you that you're special and God wanting you to know that he cares about you. And they go, oh, I never thought of that that way. Maybe that's the case. So I try to create an opportunity for people's eyes and hearts to be open to realize that God is there for them, answering their prayers, wanting to direct them, wanting to give them clarity. And uh, sometimes we're just, as you mentioned, so caught up. We don't slow down enough to listen and to pay attention to what God is actually doing in our lives. Does that help? Yeah. So if I was going to go on a retreat of solitude, mm -hmm. and I said, you know, the pastor said I should do this, <laughs> but I have no idea what to do. I'm kind of scared. How could you help with something like that? Um, well, I think that's a good question because um, it's different, again, for every person. And one of the desert fathers, Abba Moses, said, um, go to your cell and your cell will teach you everything you need to know. So basically he's saying, get by yourself. You don't have to have a lot of external um, stimulus for you to understand what's happening in your life. So I would suggest finding a place, a space that seems away from all your other activities where, it's, where you can put aside and just be attentive to um, what's going on in, within your heart and then just listen. As you quoted Dallas, be still until the twitching stops. <laughs> That's a great quote. Um, but just notice that I'm anxious about these thoughts. It's hard for me to settle down. And then maybe, you know, you say have nothing, but I might have a little notebook and just say, I'm worried about my kids going, getting into college. And then just put it aside and just kind of just keep trying to be still, keep trying to be still. And then during a refreshment or review time, kind of look at this list again and say, gosh, Lord, I noticed that I have more anxiety than I knew, so teach me peace. And then maybe, you know, in a brief moment, you might just pick one scripture that speaks of God's peace and just think about that and expand that in your mind and ask God to show you the ways that peace is active in creation or in your um, 
family life or in your children's life. And so you just take a theme and just unpack it as the Holy Spirit directs you. So you could, a spiritual coach could give a little bit of direction or structure to that time so, so you have some comfort or some sense of I'm here to do something. Yes. Yeah. That, that always helps, especially um, in our uh, crazy world that needs some sort of a, something Purpose. to tether us to truth. <laughs> well, thank you. So, so you do spiritual direction. I do. I and, do. And uh, that's, that's your job. Yes. So I, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, warn you ahead of time, but so um, there's a cost involved in that? Or? Well, uh, yes, because it's my livelihood as well as my ministry. So um, I suggest a number, but it's really just between that person and God about what their budget will allow right. because I don't want to exclude anybody from the opportunity sure. for such a um, opportun ministry opportunity. But um, I just trust that God will take care of my needs and also honor each person's um, own ability to pay or not pay. Well, thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. You know, for those of us who've been using the circle as a shape to ask ourselves the question, what is God saying to us and what am I going to do about it? That is a part of what spiritual direction is that we've been trying to learn together. Uh, but a spiritual director, you have training in this. Um, so sh a spiritual director is trained like a personal trainer would be trained to be a to be a bit more of a, an expert at this, to pay attention to what God is doing with us and, and help us maybe see what we can't see ourselves. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. For, thank for you. Sharing.